Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial conference room in an undisclosed building is Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? I'm good. I'm enjoying the undisclosed space. We cannot be tracked here, which is helpful. It's good to keep the dark web out <laughs> as much as you can. Sure. Yeah, even that gray area web, it really, it, uh, <laughs> it can find you. So, yeah, I'm good. I am tired today. This has been a long week, um, but luckily for you and for the podcast, I am in the slap happy section of being tired <laughs> instead of the grumpy. Like if there's a seven dwarves esque sort of scale. I was grumpy before, but I'm currently in like dopey phase, which is great. As long as I don't get to duck, like I'm good. Um, but yeah, it's a good day. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, it took me two hours to get to work today. Oh, yes, because of the tragedy this morning with public transit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is only going to make sense if you live in the Chicago area, so buckle in. Uh, <laughs> and ride the red or purple lines into the loop or out of the loop. That was the challenge I had. Uh, I, I got to the red line station, and I looked at the uh, the scheduler app, and there were no trains running south whatsoever. So I was just like, well, I'll ride north to Howard and transfer to the purple and ride the purple down. Except when I got to Howard, the announcement came over the PA, there are no purple line trains going south to the loop. So now you're just hanging out in Howard. Yeah, and I had to take a, a red line yeah. back south, <laughs> take, making every stop along the way while purple line trains zoomed by. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting morning. I don't ride the lines, so I don't have to interact with it much, but... Um, it's always interesting to go on when things like that happen. I go on to Twitter because it's the easiest place to track what's happening. And there are people that tweet from like the police scanner and stuff like that, just if something weird is going on. And it's always really fascinating to watch the combination of people like mourning the loss of someone who tragically um, died via train next to people complaining that their commute was too long <laughs> and being like, darn this dude for killing himself. I'm late to work or this is mildly inconvenient. It's just a fascinating microcosm of the human experience. And they, they even code it on yeah. Twitter. They say it's a medical emergency. Yeah. Which is not inaccurate. It that, doesn't tell no, the whole story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely kind of misses some of the finer details. Uh, but yeah, there's 100% of the time, there's at least one tweet that says, like, why do you have to pick today and ruin my commute? And it's like, dude, your priorities are confusing. <laughs> yeah, you are alive to in, to be frustrated, and that's right. more than some people. Yeah, this got dark weirdly quickly, but uh, it did screw up commutes pretty bad, and it was fun to watch people trickle in late to work, <laughs> specifically because of the red line delays. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. Now, Shelby, I, I know you've you've never been on the podcast before, so welcome. I don't even know what podcasts are, so this is kind of, I'm just, are we not just talking? Well, that's kind of the joy of podcasts. It's just <laughs> two friends talking to a certain number of viewers. <laughs> no, I know, yeah, that I actually have the opposite problem, which is far too many podcasts. So, no, I'm very, I'm super excited to be here. I've been patiently waiting you uh to invite me onto the podcast and pining like Rapunzel stuck in the metaphorical tower but I'm here now and that's all that matters well consider me the knight who is about to climb your long locks of hair and ask you hey Shelby what games have you been playing lately <laughs> and I would respond get off my hair that hurts 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so my gaming life at the moment is pretty dedicated to oscillating between two things. I'd like to think that I can skip around and try a bunch of different things. I just got a couple of new games, but really right now my life is either playing solitaire or the, on the train um, or uh, Breath of the Wild or Overwatch. Um, our household was a little late to getting a Switch, uh, but we got one and um, it is... Breath of the Wild is a game that I did not think I was going to like very much. Um, I never grew up as a Nintendo kid. I, I just don't have as much exposure to Zelda games. Holy crap, that game rolls. It's so good. Um, it's really, really fun and strange and quirky and um, and weirdly engrossing. It really masters the, like, oh, I'll just finish one quick thing, take five minutes, and then I'll stop playing. And then three hours later, you, like, look up in a blurry state and realize that you, I don't know what happened. Um, so I'm doing that. And then Overwatch is my perpetual unhealthy relationship, my addiction, my, <laughs> my greatest joy and my greatest struggle. Um, but I am, you know, playing through season eight right now, making it through the world, trying to survive as a support main and failing to some degree at that. <laughs> now, I'm, my understanding is it usually main mercy. Uh, yeah, I did until I decided to uh, live for longer than 30 seconds in the game. Um, <laughs> so I am a filthy Moira main now, uh, playing the new hero, which has actually been fun because I've been playing the game now for a little over a year, and it's really been interesting to watch the way that they release new characters. Um, I mean, they're releasing new material all the time, but especially the characters, watching them try to balance them and try to address issues in the meta and all kinds of stuff happening. But with Moira in particular, it was super... I was really resistant at first. I, I did not want to play her. I was not interested. Uh, I gave in eventually, and now I pretty much exclusively play her, um, barring the situation, of course. Uh, but it's really cool to see them getting good at putting out a hero that works basically from day one pretty well. Maybe she's a little overpowered, maybe she's not, depends on the situation, but um, it's, yeah, it's been fun to kind of be in this new wave of figuring out how Moira fits into the larger span of things. It's got to be challenging with having already over 20 heroes in the game and then adding a new one each time that upsets the balance of all the existing characters too. Totally. And seeing like how they bring in a new character and then they tweak other characters depending. That's very fascinating from the outside. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely interesting and I'm in it a little unnecessarily deep because I spend a lot of time consuming like commentary on Overwatch and um, a lot of videos and articles and stuff. And so every time that some slight tweak to an ability um, or a change in blast radius on a remote mind. Like, every time something little comes out, um, there's all this speculation and all this talk about how it's going to be mind-blowing. At the end of the day, it's really not. You get used to almost anything if you like the game enough, but it is fascinating to see the little ways that they tweak. Um, I don't get to play in the PTR, um, so that's the public test realm, and that's the place where they'll put new heroes out or new maps or things to test them and just see how the community reacts and see how they play outside of Blizzard's offices. Uh, so I don't get to play there, but I still get to kind of interact as they're figuring out how things work and figuring out what makes sense. 
I had actually, I previously had played on PC, mm-hmm. and then I was trying to pick it up on PS4 just a little while ago, and the new characters were one thing that was challenging, but I couldn't adapt to playing with the, the controller. That yeah. was just too, a bridge too far for me, like, knowing where things were and then they weren't was just too disorienting, but you've been playing with the controller since day one. Yeah, I am not a part of the master race, the PC master race, unfortunately, um, I but I've also been playing shooters on consoles and mostly Sony con- consoles for most of my life. So the idea of playing like I'm not excellent, but it's I'm more comfortable doing that. I've never really had um, much by way of a fancy gaming PC to be able to play games like Overwatch or other kind of larger shooter games. But it's it's definitely um, it's definitely difficult. Um, and I can't imagine the transition from... I can imagine transitioning from console and controllers to PC being good because you, you know, you know positioning, you know how the game works, and then you just have a little bit more finesse with your controls. Uh, going the other direction sounds miserable, and when you told me you were doing it, my secret thought was, Godspeed, I wonder how long this is going to last. <laughs> Maybe I can play with him once before he quits immediately and goes back to PC. <laughs> which I wouldn't blame you for in the least. If I could, I probably wouldn't play there because it's pretty toxic. At least on PlayStation, most people don't have microphones, so you don't have to listen to most people scream and yell, you know, obscenities and racial slurs. It's great. Yeah, that that's definitely uh, a plus for the PS4. Uh, it's not on the same tier as, uh, like, racism or sexism, but I did have in one, my, brief, uh, my brief 4A1 kid just screaming, you suck, you suck, you suck, over and over again for like two minutes at the end of a round. So that that was a thing. Yeah, that's that's rough. Although I have been in games where people have found ways to be toxic even without a mic. Someone had apparently, um, they were playing Farah and they uh, bound their voice line key to their, I think to their melee key, I don't know what it, how they bound, did it correctly um, on the controller, but basically... Uh, once every second or two, Farah just would repeat, I'm so scared, over and over and over again for an entire match, which I think lasted somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. And the other day I was playing a game and someone had hit that voice line just once and I had like a PTSD flashback (laughs) of pain. It was terrible. It was terrible. Um, But, you know, it's they're addressing a lot of the toxic stuff in the community or they're trying to address it. It's... It's really difficult, and it sucks because there are lots of good people that play, um, and there's a lot of good there, <laughs> but there's also a whole truckload of bad, um, and I'm going to keep playing it until it, it really breaks me. Right now, it's not broken me completely, so I'll keep going as long as I can stomach it. At least with Blizzard, I get the sense that there are people working behind the scenes to do it, whereas with bigger organizations, Twitter and YouTube, I feel a lot of it's automated, mm-hmm. and there's just, like, less people at the Switch to actually, like, check in and be like, whoa, maybe maybe this isn't right. Right. There's there's definitely some community interaction from the team, which is helpful. Um, and it, there, there are things that it gets right. One of my favorite things that it occurred to me should have been a problem in Overwatch and I haven't really seen is that there are stereotypes and people are really crappy about um, certain genders playing certain roles, (laughs) Uh, mostly support, which I have 
theories as to why females mostly play support, and it is not related to uh, us not playing as many games. Uh, but one thing that surprised me that hasn't been a problem is males playing female characters. Like, the female characters in the game are still beloved and appreciated and treated just like every other character. So someone is not, like, a like a wuss because they play Tracer. If you're a god Tracer, like, you're impressive, and it doesn't matter that she is a teeny tiny British lesbian. She's just great, and you're great on her. Um, and especially because not all the supports are female as well, it's, you know, it's, that isn't a problem. Um, and especially as someone that grew up hankering constantly to, like, I want to play the female in any game that I play if I'm given the option. Um, flashback to Rages about Persona 5 when it released. Uh, I always want to play a woman when I can, um, and because th there just aren't that many opportunities to have that choice or to do it, period. More so now, thank goodness. Um, but in Overwatch, it's great because the gender doesn't really factor into it. It really is just about the play style. But the characters are still fully fleshed out, so they are still... Like, their female identity is still part of it, which is really rad. Um, it's That is something that the, the game has managed to actually completely nail, and I don't think people lauded enough for that. Uh, but, you know, gaming communities are toxic garbage a lot of the time, at least in a large number. So, baby steps. <laughs> baby steps forward. Yeah, and I, I think we'll talk maybe a little bit about those baby steps uh, in later on in this episode. <laughs> we'll, ta we'll talk about some of the steps forward and backwards. Yeah. Breath of the Wild and Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Has there been anything else you've been playing lately? In theory, I've been playing Persona 5, but it feels disingenuous to say that because it's a lot, and I'm already playing one game that's going to require 100 hours out of me, that playing a second one feels... Uh, just, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I totally can understand that. But I'm excited to go back to it. I I am in the very early stages of the game. I'm really enjoying it. I'm excited to go back and spend more time on it, um, along with a stack of games that I have <laughs> in a cabinet at <laughs> my house. Uh, but I And I play a lot of mobile games because I'm commuting so much. Um, so I, I did mention Solitaire. Um I've gotten back into Two Dots lately, which is a great mobile game that is infuriating but adorable um, and great for dropping in and out, which is exactly what I want when I'm on the train or on a bus. Uh, one game I've been loving lately, too, that I have been hearing, I got from another podcast, I heard about from another podcast, downloaded it immediately and like fell in love as far as mobile games are concerned because I do like solitaire-like card games. Um, it's called Solitarica. Oh, yeah. Have you played this? I have, yeah. It's so good. Um, it's, if people listening uh, have not played it, it's a solitaire game, but it's got kind of RPG elements built in. Um, so you're playing a class, which gives you certain abilities, and you can do things, and you're fighting monsters, but to fight the monsters, you play solitaire. Um, it is, it was pretty easy to pick up. It took a little bit of work, but... Um, as they're adding more classes and more difficulty levels, it's really, really, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's, I feel like there's longer term stakes than just winning the game or the level in front of me, which I kind of enjoy. Um, it's also adorable. Um, and it's one of the only games that I play with sound unmuted because the sound design on it is super fun and really pleasant. 
That I, I enjoyed that game as well a lot. Uh, but like last year, I, I got all the way through like one run as like w- the warrior deck, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm like, you know, I, I could see myself going back to it at some point, trying out a different class. I just I, I hadn't. I was like satisfied at that time. Yeah. Oh, I think it's it's the sort of game that I will play through until the end in a class, and then I'll probably put it down for anywhere from a couple of days to like a month, and then I'll pick it back up and grab another class. And it does a good job at nudging you to try different play styles that you wouldn't normally do. Like, I know the colors and the abilities that I orient towards, and I'll always sort of orient towards those, but I can't just do the same thing to get through every single class, which is really cool. Um, You have to expand and learn different things and different techniques and combos, and, and I don't normally think of myself as the sort of person that likes playing games that way. I tend to care more about narrative than I do about, like, mechanics and mastering mechanics. But Solitarica has been one of the few that was super approachable, but I have been really excited to dig into, you know, what are the ability combos and how do I build this character so that it makes sense. Um, it's it's great. I will. I think I'm just going to have it on my phone forever and just pop in and out of it all the time. Word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it, though, right now. I think I'm... That is consuming enough of my brain. I wish that I had the time that I did back in the day to play games. I have fond memories of finishing the entire original Mass Effect trilogy in two weeks. <laughs> because I that's didn't, ambitious. <laughs> I didn't do anything else. I woke up in the morning, I played Mass Effect, and then I went to sleep. Now, granted, I had just finished my master's thesis, and my brain was made of mush, and I just wanted to smooch on a Turian and save the universe. I didn't need anything else in my life, but yeah, like, that sort of... Fervent devotion is a thing that I, I will not see again and have the time for again, so I'm enjoying my limited scope. I, I, I do the same thing to the best I can, yeah. Try and find moments here and there. And, and uh, with the game I'm playing right now, uh, Ranpa, Trigger Happy Havoc, uh, I had to, uh, you know, I played that over the Christmas holiday while I was flying, going back and forth between Buffalo and, and Chicago. Uh, I've been playing it on commutes to and from work, and, and I just finished it recently. Uh, I, I would say that it's got more good than bad, but it, it is a little bit of an acquired taste. That's fair. It is, man, That's so that makes me so happy about the Switch existing, though, because it is something that you can bring with you and travel around and play on your TV and have versatility. Um, but I don't actually know a ton about this game. I know I heard news about it coming out. I've, you've told me a little bit about yourself playing it, but um, I don't know a ton, so... Like, what is the, what's the elevator pitch for the game? Besides, there's more bad than good, kind of. <laughs> it is a murder mystery. Okay. Set in a high school. Okay. And you play Phoenix Wright when you're trying to figure out who the murderer is. Yes, okay, yes. That's very good, and I am very pro that that sounds great. <laughs> is it Japanese? It is extremely Japanese. Yeah, it sounds extremely Japanese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's definitely very anime because it's got a lot of uh, high school students taking on some crisis bigger than themselves. Sure. It borrows a lot from Saw in the sense that there is someone who is... A, okay, so, so before I go on, then you start the game as this character named Makoto. Okay. And you go, are attending your first day at Hope's Peak Academy. But when you get there, you fall unconscious immediately. And when you wake up, you are trapped in the school with 
14 other students. Is one of them Gary Elwes from Saw, the original Saw. Uh, that's terrible. He a... should have picked a different school. Well, you know, the, the thing is that all these students at Hope's Peak Academy are considered ultimates in that they are the best in Japan at the thing they're good at. So there's the ultimate baseball star, the ultimate pop sensation, and you are, Makoto, the ultimate lucky student because you want a raffle to go to the school. That would be such a blow to my ego. <laughs> like, everyone's so talented. I'm good at raffles. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Pretty a, pi- much. a pick real good. <laughs> well, you feel like maybe you got the bum end of the deal because when you get there and you're trapped with these 14 other people, this teddy bear named Monokuma shows up and is very much like Jigsaw in that he tells you you can stay in the school forever. <laughs> Okay. Or, if you can kill someone else and not be caught, then everyone else will be executed and you can leave. <laughs> is there, is one of the 14 students either the best at escaping convoluted traps or at murder? They, well, you know, there are a couple different variants on that where, like, somehow their ultimate skill factors into the, the, tr- the uh, murder that they commit. Sure. I want to see the kid that's, like, the best at calculus <laughs> factoring his, his skills into, like, murdering someone secretly. There, There's a there's a pretty good example of, like, a an unusual application of skills in, like, the very first uh, event in the game. Which... This is so weird. But I'm very into it. I think because I've been watching a lot of playthroughs of Doki Doki Literature Club lately, <laughs> because I'm I'm like low key obsessed with that game, but refuse to play it because I'm a giant baby. Um, I think this these games coming out um, that are visual novel esque and Japanese, but subverting a lot of those tropes of like anime kids in high school. Um, it's super interesting. Like, the concept is really, really interesting to me, and I like that play on the narrative form that they've been doing in a lot of games lately, I feel like. This seems fun. And I think one of Rampa's strong points is that it manages to subvert a lot of your expectations for, like, mysteries and what you how you see stories playing out. And one of them is that uh, very early on, you're approached by one of the female students there, and she's like, oh, we met in middle school, but we were never friends because we just ran in different circles. And it's like, oh, maybe she and my character... You're going to have a romance, right? You're going to yeah. have a romance option. That's what that means. And it was actually... I, I was, it was reinforced because I'd played this other game called 999, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, another visual novel. Love it. Where uh, you are a character and you run into your like long lost childhood friend who is now also a high school student and there's like a budding romance there. Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because Japan, I guess. But in this case, in the uh, in the first trial, so I'm I'm gonna spoil lightly the first trial. How dare you? It's I know. I, I do it on the show. I might the time. still play I can't this. Resist. I might still play this. This sounds really fun. <laughs> so like skip ahead two minutes if you don't want to hear this. I can't though. Well the people listening can. I can play Solitarica and ignore you for two minutes, but no, go on. Uh, so it turns out that the this high school sweetheart, this budding romance, she was going to frame you for murder. How dare she! I know, I know. It's a, it's a tragic game we play in love. I don't know, I'm assuming that, I don't know if you go on to romance, but that's, that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So what are, so you say that there's more good than bad, but what are the, the kind of pain points of it or what's, what's the stuff that goes into the bad category? Well, I mentioned briefly that it reminds me a lot of Phoenix Wright because Mm -hmm. there is, uh, when someone dies, there is an investigation that goes on where you kind of click around the screen or like move a cursor around the screen and point and stuff and gather clues. Mm -hmm. Although they are given the much cooler name here of truth bullets instead of evidence. Sure. (laughs) And then you go to a trial portion of the game where, similar to Phoenix Wright, people will give testimony, or in, the, in Danganronpa's specific case, they'll make, like, arguments sure. for someone to accuse someone else of being the killer. Right. And you have to, like, poke holes in their logic by using the truth bullets. Do you have to... You don't have to shout anything into your switch, though, right? So, so that's where the failing comes in. <laughs> oh, no! I, I wish that I could have that option, because when you want to point out a contradiction, you can't just, like, press the square button. Right. You have to move a cursor on screen and target the thing and then shoot it. And uh-huh. that's why where the truth bullets come in. You are, like, metaphorically shooting down the hmm. argument. Is there, like, a difficulty curve on shooting things? Well, is it just, like, a bad mechanic, or...? You can turn down the difficulty, and, and I kept it pretty low. But there are still, like, tedious parts of it because, like, there, uh, there'll be, like, white noise that comes up. And that's like other people will be chattering in the background and you have to like shoot that out of the way first before you can shoot the thing you want to. Hmm. And there will be uh, things where you have to use another piece of testimony as the contradiction. Mm-hmm. And that can be a little fussy to make that actually gather in the correct statement mm-hmm. and then use it later. And on top of all that, there are, like, there are these like other mini games too where it's like you have to play hangman. To figure out like this certain word that's key to the case. Hmm. And that can be really annoying. If you're just like, you know generally where the trial is going, but you can't figure out the word they're thinking of, that can be really annoying. Yeah, that, this to me sounds like really cool mechanics in theory, but in practice, not quite like, it, it sounds, it sounds tedious for sure. Um... Still, though, like, is it still worth playing? I think it's still worth playing. I, I think okay. that the uh, the story and the mysteries that are brought up during the story are still pretty cool. And I think that the uh, the investigation and the, like, the courtroom scenes are still really cool to play out, even if they are a little awkward. Just like with hmm. Phoenix Wright and tons of other adventure games, they can ride or die by the logic that the game designer had in mind. Yeah. And if you don't follow that logic, you might find yourself frustrated. But I think for the most part, they nailed it. And they do do a smart thing, too, sometimes, where it's like, if you meant, if you like are supposed to pick a clue or a truth bullet that fits the right spot, and you pick the wrong one, sometimes your character will, will be like, well, that is related, but I don't think it's the thing we need exactly right now. So mm-hmm. the game will even kind of nudge you. That's nice. I wish it would do it more, but it does that, that it does it at all, I think, is good. It's trying to get you to think like the game wants you to think. Yes, exactly. Huh. Okay. This is I now this is now two weird mechanic murder mystery games that I want to try to play. because um, I've been hearing a lot about the game The Sexy Brutal as well. Oh, okay. Um, which is a very strange game. Um and I've heard mixed things about the quality of the port to the Switch, but I still think I want to try it. Um, it's different. It isn't in that, like, the Phoenix Wright style necessarily, but more of you're trying to solve murder mysteries within 
a mansion, but you can't be caught, so you need to, like, watch through keyholes and see, and you have the ability to, like, go back in time. So if someone kills someone with a wrench, you can, like, go back in time and go and take the wrench out of the room so that the person in the room has time to, like, react to the potential murder um, <laughs> and do something about it. But I like those kind of, like, it, the puzzly games where you're trying to figure out what are the pieces that I need and how do I execute these pieces to make something happen? It's it's a really fun kind of brain-bendy thing. But this game sounds really weird, but I think it sounds... I think I'm going to pick it up and try this out. Cool, yeah. I, I would recommend it if you are looking for like a, a nice mystery to to sink your teeth into. It's uh, Right now, I'm, I'm playing it on my Vita, mm-hmm. but you can play it on PS4. Mm-hmm. And it's also available on Steam. Okay, cool. And there is uh, like a Danganronpa 2 and a Danganronpa 3 out there already. Uh, the the first one, this one I was playing, I guess came out for the, like, the PSP and was ported to the Vita. Wow, back in the day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been around for a while. And then the third game just came out last year for hmm. the Vita and the PS4. So Interesting. I wonder how some of the qualms with mechanics, how they change over time if you play... Um, in the different games, if they figured out different things and what's kept and what's changed over one through three. Well, I could answer that because I have started playing Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. Okay. But I think I need to save that for another episode when I've gotten farther into it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've been playing right now. I just kind of have been going at that both uh, when I'm out and when I'm at home. So, yeah. Nice. I think that brings our uh, Games Played section of the podcast to a close. But before we move on to our Choose Your Fighter segment, we're going to be doing uh, Bill's Magic Minute. So, uh, Shelby, as a first-time guest, I'm, I'm not sure you're familiar, but I really enjoy Magic the Gathering. What? I Well, I, I don't want to surprise you. I don't want to catch you too far off guard. But this might be as good a time as any to tell you. I really like Magic the Gathering. Podcast listeners, uh, Bill plays in a league with my fiancé. I'm... Deeply and unabashedly aware of uh, of your magic interests, <laughs> um, and I am here to occasionally drop terms I'm pretty sure are relevant to magic because I have overheard them at various stages in my household or at <laughs> at league games. Well, by all means, uh, feel free to chime in. But uh, what I usually do for one minute in each episode, I talk about magic without any attempt to explain or give context to what I'm talking about, just to get it out of my system, because otherwise <laughs> I, I may explode. Fair enough. All right. Uh, so do you have a timer available, or should I provide you a timer? I could ask my Apple Watch to time. Perfect. That works. All right. Let's have Siri help us out. Okay. Give me a one-minute timer. Go. I guess. <laughs> I'm getting ready to play in a team-sealed event, Grand Prix Indianapolis, coming up uh, as of this recording next weekend. And there are a few different challenges that go into preparing for that. For one thing, it just can be difficult to build the decks as compared to a regular sealed deck tournament because you get 12 packs for three people to build three 40-card decks. And that usually means the decks are of a much, much higher power level than in a regular sealed deck, or even in a draft deck, where you can just have access to or, or see more different cards for each one of the individual decks and build better synergies and have better access to rares. 
Uh, we're also we're going to be doing a, like a Google Hangout to like try and look at a deck and try and put it together hypothetically. But because the the new set Rivals of Ixalan is only coming out next weekend when the tournament happens, we're going to kind of be going in and improvising as we go. Did I nail it? Yeah, actually, you did. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I'm really impressed. That was that was precisely a minute. Ooh, okay. I usually don't, so I'm glad I did it this time. You 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 busted right through that. Um, I think you tapped enough mana to meet your timer. That's the extent of what I got. <laughs> I tried. That was perfect. Ten out of ten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so now we'll move on to our choose your fighter segment. So for this segment, Shelby and I will go back and forth with uh, one article news event or upcoming game each until only one of us is left standing and so uh yeah i mean it's tough but you know that that's the dojo <laughs> it's luckily there's no actual physical combat involved so i might succeed to some degree you might still succeed regardless <laughs> <laughs> you and i this is a uh behind the scenes video of you and i literally fighting <laughs> would not be pretty oh. Uh, but if it's all right, I'm going to keep the momentum going. I'm going to go first. And I, uh, I got the thumbs up. I wanted to talk about the Nintendo Direct that happened uh, a couple days back. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> first off, it didn't seem like... First it seemed like it was going to happen. Then it didn't seem like it was going to happen. And then it kind of just happened. Yeah, it was a sneaky direct. It was a direct mini, too, I think, was how they specifically branded it, which was weird. Yeah. Like, it, it was very... It was confusing. Couldn't quite track it coming out. But, yes, something happened. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, th that's generally their way of letting people know, like, what the new games are that are coming out and, like, giving, like, updates or glimpses into the big marquee titles that are coming out. But this one, I think, was a little more uh, sedate, more smaller stuff, really. Like, there, I, I was, I told you before the Direct happened, I was expecting news about, like, a new Fire Emblem, a new Pokemon, something of, like, that status. But nothing like that came out of this. Well, there was one decent announcement out of it, um, I think. But generally speaking, it was a lot of, like, here's a booster pack or extra characters or something. Um, there was definitely one big announcement, but I think the Switch is, following Switch news right now is tough because I think you're going to have to balance the combination of, hey, this is a new game with here's a port to Switch of something that you already like. Um, and those, I think, sometimes feel a little underwhelming, but is important for building up the library of Switch games available. And yeah, in fact, <clears throat> speaking of ports, the, uh, the first item that they showed off and one that I was excited to see was The World Ends With You is getting a remake for the, uh, the Switch. originally came out on the Nintendo DS. I have not played this, but I was super stoked after watching the Direct. This looks really fun. That game is really fun. It, it was uh, like completely different than a lot, a lot of the other RPGs that came out at that time, and it took really good advantage of the DS. Mm -hmm. It looks like they're going to have to adapt it to make it work on the Switch, because the gimmick, in part, for the DS was that you had two different characters. One was on the bottom screen, and one was on the top screen. Oh, interesting. And you had to manage both their fights at once when they would get into, like, encounters and stuff. Hmm. Not so much on the Switch. That'll be interesting to see 
if they just try to port it directly and maybe split the screen or if there's something about the switch that they can take advantage of. But that'll be, that'll be, anytime that you move a, a game from a platform to another where something about the original platform is intrinsic to the mechanic, it's always fascinating to see how they handle it. That might mean I wait to hear some reviews before, <laughs> before picking it up. Maybe, well, they couldn't visually capture that again. Maybe they could do something with the different Joy-Cons, where, like, the left Joy-Con mm. controls one character and the right controls the other. That could be an option they explore, potentially. Oh, man, that just sounds... That actually just sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to control that sounds difficult. It would be interesting, and, and I think this is going to be... Maybe this is a, an occasion where we're going to see how they're going to push the Switch... Um, so the hardware of it and having the two Joy-Cons, you've got lots of options, right? But is it going to be a situation where the game really wants you to play um, with the Joy-Cons disconnected and holding them separately instead of playing with, like, the Pro Controller? Um, does it? What's going to happen if you try to do that with the, the Joy-Cons attached to the Switch? Is there going to be a difference there? How? It'll be interesting to see what kind of... If, if they are going to go with hardware... Um, hardware mechanics, how much they're going to try to push you to play a certain way. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Switch is you can play it a thousand different ways. We have the, we have the Pro Controller at home, and it, it makes Zelda so much easier. It's a lot of fun to play with that. Obviously, having the controller um, or the Joy-Cons attached to the screen is great, but um, I like the flexibility, and I think having flexibility yeah. is going to be the mark of success for a lot of those games. Yeah, uh, de- definitely. We'll have to see how they adapt the different control options to work with yeah, the world ends with you. Yeah. But it looks great. My only complaint was that the original uh, price listing on GameStop.com I saw priced the game at $60, which seems very high for a 10-year-old game. Woof. They must... If, if, they've make, if they've made serious updates and it does feel new enough, fair enough, I totally get it. But yeah, for if it's a decade old... And people, and it's pretty, according to the direct at least, it was very popular and well-loved. Um, are people going to want to pay $60 to play this again? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I am I would be curious to see if that's the case. But it looks cool. I'm definitely going to be following when this comes out because it definitely looks a lot of fun. Yeah, give it a look. I, I would encourage you to give it a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as other remakes, we got a couple others. Uh, first off, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Yeah. You were not a fan? I'm not a fan of the hyped new character. <laughs> Funky Kong. Why is it Funky Kong? He has a surfboard. Cool. Fun- Funky Kong is 46 years old. He lives underneath the tarp that covers the back of his Chevy pickup truck. 100%. And he smells terrible. 100%. And it makes me mad because some of the controls and the things that he does seem fun. But then I would have to play this, like, unfortunate SoCal-specific, like, 90s stereotype in order to use them, and that doesn't feel worth it to me. (laughs) Um, I mean, Donkey Kong games are really fun, um, and I think it's great to have Donkey Kong Country on the Switch. We needed something, but at what cost? That's what I have to ask. At what cost? (laughs) 
I, that's what we're going to find out when it comes out. But I, Oh, yeah, literally, I guess, too, at literally what cost. Is it going to be $60? Who knows? Yeah, that would be a, a shame. I mean, I would hope that these games aren't all going to retail for 60 Like, I mean, I get it with, like, Mario and Zelda. And in, in those cases, honestly, don't tell Nintendo, but if they charge, like, 70 bucks or something like that, yeah, those games are gigantic. I would pay more. Totally. I just don't want to pay more for, like, remakes and ports and stuff. That seems a little... Seems like you probably save a little money doing that. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a money man. I'm not asking to pay $10 for these things because for them to be well executed, there does need to be work in... I, I want to see remasters, so I want to see better graphics. I want to make sure that the controls are updated, that all of the coding and the stuff works so that it's clean. I'm thinking of, you know, the recent, um, recent-ish shift of Crash Bandicoot um, and bringing the the trilogy up um, into the modern, getting it onto PS4, there is work to make sure that all of that coding shifts over and that it works properly and that it functions and it's fun to play and it feels nostalgic, but it still feels fresh. And So, like, I'm going to pay them. I get the paying for the remasters and the and the re-releases, but, yes, yeah, 60 is a is a big ask, especially when there is something new on the horizon that I could be playing. It's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of investment. And the last, well, uh, yeah, the last big remake is Dark Souls Remastered, which was announced for the PS4, Xbox One, and the Switch. Yeah, so you can feel the sadness of um, a genre-defining, insanely hard game, but like in public and on planes. <laughs> um, I I've not ever been a Dark Souls person. Um, I don't like things that are that hard. <laughs> um, but that having been said, it's it's cool to see it. Um, and I like to see these kind of multi-platform remasters and re-releases. Um, so by no means am I picking it up. But it, at least, at the very least, when I finally watched the Direct, it did explain why my Twitter feed and some of my Facebook had way more Dark Souls memes than they had the previous day. <laughs> it's like, are we still, what, I don't, did something, did someone die did a character die? I'm confused. Um, just kidding. Character always dies. That game is insanely hard. Um, but yeah, so I, it's cool. It's a good, it's a different kind of game too. It's nice to see something that's not just so straight cartoony. Um, to see something a little bit more kind of realistic in a different genre than what you get on Nintendo a lot of the time. I'm curious because I did play a little bit of Dark Souls back when it first came out on the 360, but only like three hours or so, and then I gave up. And I'm curious to see how it compares to Breath of the Wild, mm. because I feel like Breath of the Wild shares a bit with Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. And... It is a Souls-like game, totally. It, in I think in the punishment, in the random encounters and the, some of the fighting, there are, there are certainly cues that come from it. Yeah, like Breath of the Wild is much more forgiving, but you could, you could play it like a Dark Souls game where there's very little to explain what's happening. You can just kind of wander out into the world and just kind of see what happens. The benefit of Breath of the Wild, for someone like me at least, is that death is constant, but is not punishing. Like, it's annoying if you're not saving on a regular basis or running by places that auto-save you, but it isn't as punishing to die. Um, That is a difficulty that I understand is not necessarily the case (laughs) with Dark Souls. Um, Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is going to be the sort of thing that I don't. I don't. I don't think this is going to bring anyone to the Switch. No one is going to be like, finally, Dark Souls. I will invest. But I think it's cool for the people that have the devices already and 
Do you think that you'd pick it up and try it again? Yeah, I, I think I would because it just it's been so well regarded over the years, and that in particular, people who have talked about like Dark Souls two and three and Bloodborne, they're like, yeah, well, Dark Souls one is still like the pinnacle. Yeah. So yeah. And in because I've been hearing, I almost feel like I should play it because I hear in commentary a lot about this new genre of a Souls like game. So we've got roguelikes, we have these other kind of genre defining games, but Dark Souls has been really, really huge. It's one of the big kind of shifts in mechanics in the way that we think about games like that. So it's definitely important. Probably I would prefer to put it in the Smithsonian than play it myself, but I would be curious to hear from you once you, uh, if you do get it, how it feels and, and if it's really worth coming back to and playing. I will let you know, absolutely. Or if I don't let you know directly in a podcast episode, I will put it in another podcast episode that you can listen to. And then to. I can listen to it. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so I had some other items I wanted to go over, but before I just kind of run them all down, was there anything that jumped out to you from this direct? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> there was the one particular hyperbole that did make me laugh, which was claiming that Hyrule Warriors is a, is a much-loved <laughs> game, <laughs> which, like... Um, I played in a Target at one of the, like, demo stands, and I think I played it for five minutes, and it was super amusing for four minutes, and then I walked away and continued shopping at Target, and I was like, this is the perfect way to consume this game. Um, and, but there's updates to it, so I guess you can play as, like, Midna now. I do like that they have costumes from Breath of the Wild, but I don't know how many people are, like, really thirsting for DLC for Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, for a port of a two-year-old game at this point? Yeah. So, that was the, that just, it made me giggle because I had forgotten that game existed, and not only was I reminded, but I was sold the idea that I was on the the minority side of history (laughs) that didn't really care about it. Apparently, the world is up in arms about Hyrule Warriors. Um, Also, why wouldn't you just keep playing Breath of the Wild? (laughs) Just, Just... You could open Hyrule Warriors and then realize that there are better Zelda games available and then just go do that instead. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you like warrior-style games and you have not tried Hyrule Warriors yet, this is where to get in on the action. Yeah, I mean, they have everything available. And it's always fun to see the characters that you know from the old games. That's totally fine. Um, But not my jam. Go nuts if it is. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think that, but that sort of release was, it made, it just made me laugh that it fell in the middle of this kind of like, some actual announcements about actual exciting games, and it, it just felt a little bit like, also, let's get hyped about this thing that doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then, uh, anything else? Uh, or just, I was gonna blast through a couple other, the... Keep going. Oh, Alright, blast away. Uh, so Mario Tennis Aces. Mario Tennis for the Nintendo 64 is like one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. I'm super excited that they're going to take another crack at Mario Tennis and that they're adding, like, a single-player mode. So excited. That that seems pretty cool. Like, if there's some, like, puzzly elements to the tennis play, I would be curious to see how that goes. It So the video that they, like, the little trailer that they showed in the Direct um, looks so fun. And I love uh, those multiplayer games are really great. But I personally find I don't get a ton of mileage out of them. Like, I get them and it's fun to have around, but I'm not, like, hankering to find people or, like, I'm not sitting down with my fiancé to play 
a two-player versus game like that that often. So having a good single-player mode is really is going to entice me to buy a game. And knowing that there's stuff and there's challenges and different things that you can do within the game as just a solo kind of mission sounds awesome. I am su- I'm way more excited about it. If you had asked me last week, hey, Shelby, are you stoked about Mario Tennis? I would have just sort of shrugged in your general direction and then <laughs> moved on. But after watching that trailer, I was actually kind of jazzed. Good, good, yeah. Like, I, I was... I, I didn't play the Wii U tennis game, but it got some pretty poor reviews, I think, because it lacked depth. Yeah. And there just wasn't a lot going on. So hopefully, if they can get that injected into this game, then I will totally be on board to play some more tennis. Also, that seems like the sort of game that will bring to light the dream of all of the Nintendo Switch commercials that they had, which was like, show up in this random park and set up this, uh, you know, set up your screen and play with your friends anywhere, which no one's doing that. But this is the sort of (laughs) game that sounds like it could be used to do something like that, which is cool. Yeah, this could be a way to like, kind of play more with the the Wii Tennis idea of, like, doing tennis strokes and, like, with the Joy-Cons. That'd totally. be pretty cool. As long as they have the option to not do that and just use the controller <laughs> as a controller, Fair. I'm yeah. into it. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, there was Yeast 8, Lacrimosa of Dana. That title is just begging me to screw up every single word involved. Like, I... When it came up on screen, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm really curious to see how you say this. <laughs> Y-S, yeast. Is Y secretly a Roman numeral I didn't know about? I, but yeast, apparently. I, I think so. I'm just kind of guessing <laughs> We might be wrong. Who knows? But, yeah. The, this game series has been around for like 25 years. And this is, I guess, really the first time I've ever even noticed it. Who? <laughs> yeah. Well, Color pole, yeah. No, I, I've never heard of this game before. But it looked pretty cool. They just the way it was described was pretty cool, and it had some good Metacritic scores for the PS4 version. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be following it closely, but it definitely looked cool, and it's good extra variety um, in the mix of titles available. I'm also gonna at this. I'm gonna mention here. There was another reason that I remembered this game, and it's because back when it first came out. The, the localization was so poor and people complained about it so much that they went and did another translation of the Japanese wow. script. Wow. Was it like funny bad or was it just like, I can't play this game because I don't know what's happening? Because uh, funny bad is great. <laughs> Understandably, they should have retranslated it, but that's the, for me, that's the question. Like, is this amusing or is it just unplayable? I, I think it was just... Like, you could read it, but, like, the characters sounded so strange and alien. I think that's what people were put off by. Like, mm-hmm. the screenshot example that I saw was this one character being like, Ah, my day's good. I drank a beer and took a shit. <laughs> it's real straightforward. That's yep. It's very specific yep. character building that I don't think they were intending to do necessarily. Right, yeah. Love it. So uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but the president and CEO of Nice America, who, which is the company that brought the game over from Japan, uh, they issued a public apology for the quality of the translation and basically said, we are so sorry. We're going to do better <laughs> next time. Translation is really hard. Um, translation is really, really a difficult thing to master 
and good translators have immense skill because it isn't just knowing a dictionary of words, but it's being able to capture the the essence of what's being said and and getting the emotions and the feeling and the characterization right just as much as like getting the words correct. So I, I mean, if it was that bad, I don't know how it got to market. <laughs> but still, I do like I I will give translation companies a mile because I know that that's a lot that's difficult work to do well it is it's partly translation and partly writing to evoke the same style as an author in an entire other language mm-hmm. like uh, sorry I just said Nintendo at their during with their treehouse group they have teams that work together and they're like a writer's room for the localizations where mm-hmm. it's like all right this game needs to be snappy and and funny. And we need to figure out ways to to make that uh, exist in the script. Yeah, How do, do that. I well, and especially going from such dramatic different cultures too. I think it's going from Japanese to English as well. There are just you're you're changing sentence structure. You're changing like cultural references. There's a ton. Anytime that I see like especially like poems or puns translated, it totally breaks my brain. I don't know how you know another language well enough to do it back and forth that direction. So, but also still get it together. It's literally your job. Get better translating. Yeah. I'll just read this one little slice here at the end. Again, as the president and CEO of Nice America Inc., I deeply apologize and vow to you that we will bring the quality of the localization of Yeast 8 up to the high standards that it and you deserve. Just picturing a very... Very embarrassed Japanese businessman. <laughs> he, he's, I mean, that, that is as direct and uh, apologetic of an apology as you're going to see. There was no uh, beating around the bush there. I kind of appreciate that, though. Of like, yeah, we screwed up. Sorry. Like, we're... We, I do like the idea that both the, the player and the game deserve a better translation. It's a very dramatic statement, but... Seriously. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all I wanted to cover from the Nintendo Direct. Uh, the, the, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to read hype and news of games on the internet, but why not choose our hype? It's hypeful. Nailed it. Totally yeah, nailed that. You were on. You were on. You totally got it. <laughs> uh, so that's all I have to say about the Nintendo Direct. Uh, Shelby. I understand you had something you also wanted to talk about. (laughs) Surprise, it's about Overwatch. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so as we speak right now, um, in, oh no, literally as we speak, um, the Dallas Fuel is playing LA Valiant um, in day three of the Overwatch League's inaugural season. Uh, so So Blizzard has released a league. They have set things up. There are teams from all over the world, um, and they are playing competitive Overwatch. Um, Overwatch actually has had a pretty active, uh, non-Blizzard sanctioned or run competition community. Um, so there's a lot of different tournaments. There's a lot of different leagues all over the world. Um, Apex is a big one, um, over in Asia. There's stuff happening here in the U.S., um, every year they have the World Cup as well. That's through Blizzard. But this is really the cementing, I think, for Blizzard of saying, we want esports not only to exist, but to be a completely legitimate sport. Um, we want it to be on par with 
football and baseball and, and professional sports leagues, and so I think they're really staking their claim here. Um, and so far it's been pretty good. I've really enjoyed my matches so far. Um, the first two seasons are streaming exclusively through Twitch, um, and they are, the way that they're doing it, and I think this is just because the teams are so far flung, so we've got two teams in LA, a team in Boston, a team in Dallas, um, there's a team in Shanghai, um, there is um, another team, there's teams all over the place, basically, all over the map, there's one in London, um, one in Korea, and so they are having these sort of mini tournament brackets, so for multiple days, they're just running everyone through lots and lots of games, um, which is a little frustrating because I feel like I have this obligation to watch <laughs> uh, six hours of Overwatch every night for a week, which feels like a lot of Overwatch. Um, <laughs> it would be nice if it's like in a professional sport where you watch a game a week, something like that. It would be great. Uh, but they can get them all in one place. It's more exciting than watching them play like Overland. They have a big arena. It's beautiful. Um, there's lots of big names spread throughout um, the teams, both in the owners as well as um, if you are familiar with the community, uh, the people playing on the different teams. I'm not going to dig into that because it's very specific nerdiness. Um, <clears throat> worth checking, though. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but the, there are two things that I was thinking about a lot with this, um, one of which is the the way that Blizzard is executing and the speed at which they're executing this. So we've known about League for a little while at this point, but they are going, like, all in immediately. So these teams are huge. <clears throat> Excuse me. The teams are huge. The players are getting paid a lot of money. Um, there's, like, the stadium and the spaces that they're playing. They've invested a lot of money in. Um, there is a whole system built into Overwatch itself now where you can purchase what are essentially jerseys, they're custom skins, for every character um, based on the team that you want to support, all completely through real human being money, so not in-game currency, but actual money, which I don't have a problem with, but is a big investment of we've created an entire economic system in our game specifically so that you can have the Shanghai Dragons logo on your tracer. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot of investment up front, assuming that they're going to be making really good money, uh, that they're going to get a lot of viewership. And I am really curious to see what it's going to look like. We're not going to get numbers, obviously, at the end. Blizzard isn't going to do that. But I wonder about people that don't play Overwatch, and or even people that play Overwatch but don't care about esports, who will get dragged into this and who will be interested. There's plenty of bodies, but I'm wondering if it's going to get anyone new into it. Yeah, uh, it seems like... They're trying to set themselves up apart from other esports and more hew more closely towards like actual sports by having these like teams that are not national teams or not like international conglomerations. They're local teams that makes it feel more provincial. Where it's like you have, I guess they're hoping you'll have your own identity that's associated with the esports team in your area. Like, does Chicago have? A franchise? Not yet. It would, it wouldn't surprise me if we got one. Uh, right now, if you are looking for some Chicago association and you want to root, two of the players um, on the San Francisco Shock are from Chicago. Oh. Um, so cheer for them, I guess. I was until they completely got their butts handed to them. <laughs> first round in the first game of uh, the first match 
of Overwatch League. Um, I'm still rooting for them. I like a lot of their players, but uh, yeah, they're not going to be the most competitive uh, team, I don't think, this season. We might get one eventually. The, the goal, though, I think is going to be similar to competitive, or to professional sports that you're going to root. You're going to either have a team because your favorite streamer or your favorite player is playing for them, or um, your main, there's a god version of your main on a team, or it's just the team that's closest to you. Um, there's a lot of options in there. Um, it is funny, though, to see, rather than having these World Cup teams that are just sort of mishmashes of everyone from a certain company or country competing together, they really did draft accordingly. And so lots of the players have played together in other leagues. Um, my favorite example of this is London's team. Literally, it's just Koreans. Uh, there's no one from London, I don't think, on the team. Like, there's no British people on the team. Um, so, th- But they are drafting in order to win, which is really, really fascinating. And you see them rotate, so they're, we're starting to see that different teams have different strategies for certain maps. So there are tank players that they will play on one map but won't play on another because this player is an incredible Winston, but Winston doesn't work on this map here. It's So the strategy, the like meta on top of meta strategy is really, really interesting to watch them develop. I just, I don't know how easy it's going to be for other people to get into. I really like Overwatch. I think about it a lot. I play about or play it as much as I can. Of course, I'm interested. <laughs> but I wonder if, if other people are going to get excited into playing it. Um, I think of myself trying to watch like streams of League of Legends, which makes my eyes bleed because I don't understand what's happening. And I wonder if it feels the same for other people who don't know how the game works trying to watch Overwatch. Is there a spectator mode in Overwatch yet? <sighs> kind of. No, no, not really. Uh, okay. Kind of-ish, approximately. There's not a very good, sophisticated one. Um, my hope down the line and something that I think would be cool, again, oriented more, I think, towards hardcore people, but would still be cool, um, is to see to be able to watch the uh, Overwatch League games in Overwatch and use your controller or your mouse to go around and flip between players and have spectator mode. I have no idea. That'd be great. It It would be amazing. I don't think any server ever anywhere could like handle that because they are getting hundreds of thousands of people. That's a lot to have in one match. Um, But it would be really cool if you were able to to do that. Maybe with replays, maybe with watching saved games. Um, Yeah, it, it... it is a time will tell, but Blizzard has definitely decided that they really want to lean all the way into this being legitimate. I think that's the thing is they want it to be professional and legitimate in a way that I don't think any other game or game creator has leaned quite as hard. So time will tell on that. Uh, but because I am me, I cannot not talk about the number one news story that really, an opinion piece specifically, that really frustrated me this week dealing with Overwatch League. Um, And that is the sheer lack of women anywhere in any team ever anywhere. Um, There isn't, it's not as if uh, there are no professional or high, high level female Overwatch players. They definitely exist. But um, none of them are in any of the leagues. No one got drafted. Uh, There is a particular player from Korea who um, 
was part of a controversy not that long ago because she was such an incredible Zarya player that they people were accusing her of cheating. Um, she had to post a video um, from a stream that had a camera on her hands and showing the screen at the same time so that people knew that she was actually playing the game. Uh, they didn't believe that she wasn't botting. I think I saw a video, maybe not that exact video, but I, I saw a video of that player, of this Zarya kicking everyone's ass. And she was a 17-year-old girl at the time, which is, that's the crux of it, right? Like, that's why people are upset. There are literally players in Overwatch League currently who could not play in the preseason and might not be able to play for the first round of games because they were too young. <laughs> they were drafted at, like, 16, 17, um, but were not able to play initially because you have to be 18 to play. So age is not really a concern, no one questions whether or not Sinatra can play. He's an incredible player, but he's a he's a he's literally a kid. Um, no one questions their ability. So it isn't an age thing. It really comes down to a gender question of whether or not a girl, a young girl in particular, could do it. Um, and it, it's just it's frustrating. And the article that I am um, referring to is from Polygon's offshoot so polygons coverage they have an offshoot website that covers overwatch specifically and they talked to a lot of the teams and were interviewing and asking especially the owners like where are the women why didn't you draft any women and a lot of the response was like either we didn't want to figure out co-ed housing or it's just not the time or it's a lot of pressure um a lot of excuses that are not inaccurate but are useless as far as actually defending the fact that there's no good reason not to. I know there are different concerns and, and different real-world consequences for both, but it does remind me of the issue with Colin Kaepernick. A hundred percent. Where you can... I, I've talked with people, I've argued with people, You can they can always come up with an excuse why he can't play or shouldn't play. Right. If you tell them that he is a good quarterback, they'll be like, well, he's not a great quarterback. If you tell him like he's better than X, Y, and Z, it's like, well, he's a distraction. It's like it, it always circles around to like between it, whether he's a distraction or whether he's not a good enough player. And my impression from the stuff that I read is like that it's that same kind of dance. What is the player's name? So this player's name is Gaguri, which I don't know if I'm saying correctly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was involved in this controversy and is an incredible tank, remarkable tank player. And, and yeah, just it's weirdly a matter of like faith for these people and i don't mean like spiritual faith just like when they because they don't believe there's nothing you can tell them to make them see that this person can do what they they're capable of well and i think for me too what I, and this comes up i think the kaepernick uh comparison is 100 percent apt here because for me what i hear when i he, uh, when i see this and when i hear the excuses and the responses is I hear teams saying, we don't care enough about this to be uncomfortable briefly <laughs> in order to make things better. So Blizzard talks about really wanting um, to make the place or make the community less toxic. They talk about wanting to make it a safer place to make it better, that we should all be held, or held to a higher standard. Awesome. A lot of people support that and say that this is a good thing, that we want this, you know, we want females to be represented, we want things to be less toxic, et cetera, et cetera. 
no one is willing to put any of their comfort or their power on the line to help make that happen. And that's what makes me frustrated is that like these big rich dudes that were able to literally pay millions of dollars to start um, a team and these coaches who are getting paid a lot of money to coach people to play Overwatch are not willing to say, we'll take a little bit of flack because this is an incredible player and we want to see how they work and we want to support them and we want to look for not even just seek out female players. She's one of the better tanks in the world. Like, why are we not looking for her? Um, but sometimes you have to lean in a little bit and say, we're going to get some weird pushback. We're going to get people concerned. Maybe they won't buy as many of our skin in the Overwatch client. But also we can normalize this and we can make it real. And also I think these teams underestimate the market of people like me who, if I knew that there was a team in league that had a female on their roster, I would be ride or die for them immediately. There is no question in my mind. I would support them even if they were actual hot garbage and lost every single match that they were in because that's important to me and supporting that representation is important. And I know I'm not alone in that. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think you need to go into that, and I mean, here, allow me to explain the situation. Oh, thank you. Yes, I was. Uh, I was worried that I did wasn't going to get a man explaining it to me. So, but I mean, but seriously, we need to realize that, that obviously Giggory would be uncomfortable for a, a variety of different reasons due to the being put in this position, and her teammates would be too. But for the guys, you got to kind of sometimes be uncomfortable. That's part of, like, the change. That's part of the changing process. And, I mean, I, I look at combat sports. I mean, the most, you know, violent, sanctioned events that can happen in America today. And if you ask someone on the street to name the most popular mixed martial artists, they'd say Conor McGregor. Yeah. And Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And she, I mean, wh wh however you ethically think about combat sports, she has redefined it because they gave her a chance, and she proved to be an incredible celebrity and the incredibly yeah. successful. Not an incredible fighter long-term, necessarily, uh, but she did pave the way for a lot of people to come through, and that's the thing, is you need to take that first step out um, and, and make that move to sort of break the mold, because when that mold is broken, we can start filling it with other people, and it can just become normal. And I don't want to, like, make one person the martyr that has to go in and be the female, which... Like, I don't wish any amount of a fraction of the internet's uh, sexist toxicity to be on any one person, period. Um, so, I, but, so I don't fault any of the females in this process. But there are definitely women who are good enough to be playing in the league who are willing to take that on in order to do it. They just don't have teams that are willing to do it with them. Um, so I have hope, in theory, for the future. Um, but we'll see... Uh, what is going to come of it. Uh, I will keep following Overwatch League. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. The commentators are great. There is a female commentator. Well, she doesn't comment on the matches. She talks afterwards at a desk, but she still exists. So at least there is one token female somewhere in the arena. Uh, there, <laughs> It's a start. Um, I, I want to see more representation. I want to see more folks... Um, showing up, especially women, 
Um, and there's some really, there's also some really incredible streamers who are trans people as well. Um, so there's some trans women that I follow on Twitch that I love that are phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to see them get represented and love to see them show up. We'll see. It's going to take some time. There's a lot of things that need to shake down, but I just want to see someone grow a pair and woman up and get a female on their roster, at least one of them, and be prepared to deal with the brunt of the salt that's going to come because it's how we change things. I agree. I, I wish that would happen, and I wish it would happen very soon. Yeah. I mean, damn, if everyone really likes diva as a character so much like all these female characters are so wonderful and we see them as so powerful and capable diva's literally a starcraft champion <laughs> she is a professional gamer that was hired to fight giant robots and is beloved by the community unless you hate her defense matrix fair <laughs> but like is a is a well-respected and loved character and they can't do the thing that diva does in their own league I, I, that's actually an excellent point. Yeah, like, <laughs> Hana Song, they'd be like, could you imagine in the Overwatch world where it's like, uh, I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> if we don't let women into this league, we're not going to have someone to drive the Mecha to save us from the invasion of the evil Omnix, Blizzard. Yeah, come on, let's, <laughs> let's get on that. Let's be building the roof while the sun is shining. Exactly. Get the next class of Overwatch together now. Though I will get on record and say I don't want a female Overwatch League. That was... So I've heard some like questions about being like, oh, why don't we do this so we can get more exposure for women? I am so dramatically not pro that at all. Because I think that that just perpetuates a lot of the problems. It could help in some ways, but um, especially in something where gender really doesn't make a difference in your fast twitch muscles in your hands or your ability to play the game. It doesn't really change things. Um, I, that idea I'm super against. I, I, yeah, there's no need for segregation in this, in this arena. We, everyone can, should be able to play everyone else. Exactly. It would be fun to see like a big tournament, um, or something that was all female care or female players. So I would see like a one-off thing on that, but no, I just want it to be normal. I'd also like people to stop asking me if I was a girl when I go on Overwatch still, very annoying, and this is a trickle-down thing, so we'll see. We're going to follow it, but I'm also going to go home and watch the replay or replay of Dallas Fuel and Valiant playing tonight, because um, Fuel really impressed me in their first games, so I'm excited to see what they're going to do tonight. It's a lot of fun. It's worth checking out. It's really fun to leave on, even in just in the background while you're cleaning or doing something else, um, but I'm definitely sitting down eagerly watching a lot of these games. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of people will be reductive and be like, well, if you don't like it, then just don't watch. Well, no, you can still watch and still complain and still say that things should be better. That, oh. that can work, too. I, I, if I didn't care about it, I wouldn't want anything to be better. So, I mean, I think that brings our Choose Your Fighter segment to a close. Shelby, uh, the judges are getting their scores in right now. The cards are up, and it is a draw. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of draws out here. I mean, oh, yeah. No, you don't have a lot of people collapsing and, and fainting on your on your podcast? No, yeah. Yeah, rarely happens. I Rarely anyone walks away with bruises or anything. That's good. I did have to sign that waiver initially, so I understood that there was a possibility, but I'm happy that I, I'll take a draw. Oh, that's, that, that was just so you didn't disclose what happens in the solarium. Oh. It was pretty shiny, though. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. And, but Dave, thank you so much for coming on to So Many Bits. It's good to have you on. It was lovely to be here, um, even in my sleep-deprived state. I feel like hopefully I strung at least two or three intelligent set- sentences together as I stumble over my words <laughs> immediately there. Um, yeah, it was great. I will always... I will always talk video games, period, and I will always talk video games with you. You know that. Great, great. Uh, if you want people to find you, either electronically or in person, where can they find you? I would prefer they didn't find me in person. <laughs> um, I am on most social media sites as uh, Shelby underscore Fawn. Um, so Twitter, Instagram. It's not that interesting, but y'all can follow me if you want. Twitter's mostly retweets, but I spend a lot of time on Instagram. All right, great. Well, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from SoundCloud, from Spreaker, from YouTube. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesdays and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Wednesday nights usually for Magic the Gathering Online, Thursday nights for like a potpourri of different games. Uh, Different games I've played on Thursdays are like Yakuza 0, Super Mario Odyssey, Cuphead, stuff like that. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts, support independent art, the spirit of Dal Compelsion. <laughs>